0: Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. It's a new year, and every year now starts with an interesting event on January 3. It was January 3, 2009, when the very first Bitcoin block was mined, and that ushered in the new era of sound money. As we begin every year from now on, we can celebrate the beginning of sound money right at the beginning of the year. And isn't that so wonderful that we can go forward every year recognizing that not only did Bitcoin start the year in 2009 with the invention of sound money, but it started an entire new era because the world has never before known something so transformative, so secure as a form of wealth, a form of money that is held and controlled as a bearer asset, as it's called in financial language, meaning that the one who holds it controls it through his private keys. The block that was mined on January 3, 2009, the so-called Genesis block, the first block of the first blockchain in existence, included a very special message. And I want to read that message for you right now. It's a very short message. It simply says, The Times, 3rd of January 2009. Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. That's simply a headline from the London Times coming from an article that detailed how banks were being bailed out by the British government. And it's pretty obvious that the anonymous Satoshi Nakamoto included that message as a reference as to why he started the Bitcoin blockchain in the first place and what its purpose, that is to say, what the purpose of Bitcoin actually is. It stands in principle against the concept of bailing out banks. And the reason for that, the idea behind that, is a biblical idea. And that's what we're going to delve into in this episode. Now, we actually started this topic last week when we investigated the very first financial transaction on this planet. Not only the first recorded, but according to Christian belief, the very first transaction ever. And that was the transaction to purchase clothing for Adam and Eve once they sinned. Now, you could look at God's response to Adam and Eve's sin as the very first bailout. They indebted themselves through sin. That is to say, they put themselves in a position of debt. All through the Bible, sin is compared to debt, and rightfully so. Now, there are so many directions we can go into here. Debt is something that you cannot have. It's a quantity. It's a negative quantity. Now, to illustrate that, imagine how many apples can you hold in your hand? One, two, three, maybe four or five, depending on how big they are and how you can contort your fingers to support them all, but you can hold apples in your hand. Can you hold a negative number of apples in your hand? No. Why? Because they simply don't exist. There's no such thing as an anti-apple, so to speak. And this is what debt is. You cannot have debt. Debt is not something tangible that you can hold. And this is a biblical truth, a biblical financial truth, that King Solomon explained. In Ecclesiastes 1 verse 15, King Solomon wrote, That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. Now, that might seem difficult to understand at first, but it's actually a very simple truth that he's explaining here. And More than just stating the truth, he's making a point with this truth. When it says, that which is crooked cannot be made straight, first of all, we might have a hard time accepting that because we seem to make things straight all the time. But if you understand it in the sense of, for example, take a sheet of paper and crumple it up, can you make that paper straight again? No. That's the sense in which he means that which is crooked cannot be made straight. And he goes on and says that which is wanting or lacking or in the negative cannot be numbered or counted. That which is in the negative cannot be counted. And again, that might seem untrue to our modern mind because we are so accustomed to using negative numbers in mathematics we add and count, so to speak, negative numbers all the time. But if you think back about that practical example of how many lacking apples can you hold in your hand, you cannot because there is no such thing. You cannot count what does not exist. It's a contradiction. Now, this principle has a very deep spiritual meaning. And this meaning is Permeates every aspect of society today because we have a financial system in place that has developed over the generations, over the years, that is based on this concept of debt, this concept of what is lacking, which, according to the Bible, cannot be counted because it does not really exist. Debt, like negative numbers, are Entirely theoretical. And all through history, the financial system, which was not always a system as we know it today, but was more just a manifestation of how people valued things and traded things in the world. But even so, all through history, the financial system was connected to physical value, it was connected to things you could hold to positive numbers, so to speak. It wasn't until recent years, you could maybe say from the time of leaving the gold standard, but I would say even more recent than that, it wasn't until the entire world agreed, or at least the leaders of the world agreed, to abandon every semblance of concrete value in the monetary system and go just for an entirely debt-based economy. It was at that point that you could maybe say around 2020, when the nations, all the nations of the world, just began fabricating money by the trillions without any regard to amount. That was an expression of confidence in this idea of having a monetary system that is not connected to real-world value in any way, shape, or form. Now, we've been talking a lot in this podcast, episode after episode, about how Bitcoin, as a monetary system, forms the foundation, the monetary foundation of a kingdom. Every kingdom has a financial foundation, because... Money is so crucial to the working of society and to the operation of any kingdom. And therefore, all through history, the great kingdoms had currencies, had coins that were minted with the insignia of the king or of his country. And we have that today with the fiat financial system. Every country has its own currency. And that started as a matter of practicality because... In a kingdom, in order to be able to trade on a daily basis, you need denominations of wealth that are in proportion to the things that are traded on a daily basis. In other words, you need money for the masses that is the right size to trade for your daily bread, so to speak. And that needs to be standardized for the efficient working of society. And so kingdoms naturally found it beneficial to mint coins of useful denominations, but they were always based on something of real value, gold or silver, etc. But in recent years, the world has transitioned to this hypothetical concept of debt-based money. Now, the idea of debt and the use of debt has been in practice for many years, but it wasn't until these very recent years that the financial system took the leap of faith so to speak to cut all ties with physical real world value and just treat money solely as a debt now if bitcoin as sound money which has a hard cap and therefore a reliable value if bitcoin as sound money forms the foundation for a kingdom like the kingdom of God, then it stands to reason that an entirely debt-based system forms the foundation for another kingdom, the kingdom of Satan or the Antichrist, the one who is against Christ or against God. And this simply goes to show as an illustration, as a practical Illustration or practical enactment, the very thing that Satan has been pursuing since iniquity was found in his heart long ago. And that's that he proposes a form of government contrary to God's government that is based not on life, but on death, that is based not on wealth, but on debt. Now, he didn't necessarily present it in that way to begin with. But over time, it has become known, it has been recognized, that the kingdom of Satan is the kingdom of death. The Bible makes that very clear. And that in practical terms, his kingdom is based on slavery, which is essentially debt that can never be paid. That's another word for slavery. You can see this from the very beginning, when Eve obeyed the voice of the serpent That was Satan speaking through the serpent. And by following his counsel, Eve and Adam died. That was the whole point. Let's just read that. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And so when Eve listened to the serpent and partook of the fruit, and when Adam ate it as well, death came over them. And we talked about that in last week's episode. But I want to emphasize the point that this onset of death was a result of or connected to obedience to the serpent, obedience to the devil, obedience to Satan. In other words, his kingdom... If you follow what he says, if you follow his rules, his law, in his kingdom, there is death. He is the Lord of death, the King of death, the ruler of the dead. Okay? And that fact is evident throughout the Bible. By contrast, God's kingdom is the kingdom of life. Now, let's bring this back into the context of bailouts, Bitcoin as a financial system stands against bank bailouts. That's what the January 3 message in the Genesis block states. And it was just a few days later that the very first transaction was made on the Bitcoin blockchain. So the first block was mined with this message about the bank bailouts on January 3, and then the first transaction was performed just a few days later, actually transmitting money, transmitting value, transmitting the first bitcoins from one person to another. Now, we talked about the very first financial transaction in last week's episode, and today we're going to revisit that in the context of bailouts, because in a certain sense, God bailed out Adam and Eve. They had entered into this debt of sin. They essentially owed their life for following Satan, for eating the forbidden fruit. The cost of that was their life. And in order to prevent their immediate death that very day, it was necessary for God to bail them out. And he did that In the illustrative act of sacrificing an animal in order to manufacture clothing to cover their nakedness, which was indicative of their sin. Now, if God bailed them out, how can we say bailouts are not good? And why is it that in Bitcoin, the Genesis block brings to attention this great bailout of the bank's? in 2009, highlighting it as the fault of the existing financial system. Doesn't that seem like a contradiction? No. And the reason is because we have to understand that it's not the bailout itself that is the problem. We all, as human beings, as error-prone individuals, we can appreciate a bailout in a time of need as a very precious and valuable thing, one that we appreciate, it's a form of grace. Everyone, when they make a mistake, wants to be bailed out. And to be bailed out or to bail someone out is not a bad thing in and of itself. It's an expression of grace, an expression of mercy. And these are attributes of God. These are characteristics of His care and love toward us. So then, what is the problem with the bailing out of banks? And why is it that the anonymous Satoshi Nakamoto cited the second bailout of the banks in the UK as grounds for the creation of an entirely new financial system? What was he referring to there? Is Bitcoin a system devoid of grace devoid of mercy? And is that reflective of the character of God? No, no, no. That's not why the bailout of the banks was cited in the Genesis block. You see, it's not bailouts themselves that are bad. It's the fact that they do not have a cost. When the banks were bailed out, the cost for that was not paid from any actual resources. It was not paid from any inventory of gold, for example. It was not paid from any positive bank account. No, the bailout came by fabricating more money on the books only, which is nothing more but more debt, which as a negative value does not even exist. So the problem is not the bailout. The problem is that the bailout is done with something that is not anchored to real value. And that is the principle that we explored in last week's episode, where we recognized that the sacrifice that God made, the sacrifice of the animal in order to clothe Adam and Eve, was a sacrifice of something valuable. It was a sacrifice of something real, and as we noted, animals were used as a form of value all through the ages, ever since that day. But what gave this currency, this form of value, its value, was the fact that animals possess life, and life is the debt that Adam and Eve owed for eating the forbidden fruit. For breaking the law of God. Sin is the transgression or the breaking of God's law, and the wages or payment of sin, the cost of sin, is death. And therefore, in order for Adam and Eve not to die that very day, that debt had to be paid, and it had to be paid by something of equal value. Life had to be given, life had to be sacrificed something had to die in order to pay the debt for their sin. And we know that the animal foreshadowed ultimately Christ, and that the sacrifice of the animal foreshadowed the sacrifice that Christ would ultimately make to pay the debt for all mankind, in so much as he was the creator of all mankind who gave his life. So the Genesis block that was mined on January 3, 2009, 15 years ago now, drew a line between the fiat financial system that would bail out debtors with more debt, with something that does not even exist, with something that has no real world value, and came in contrast to that as a system with a fixed supply that gives it, as a currency, a definite value, a high value. And essentially, the message there is a kingdom based on debt is a kingdom of slavery and death, and that's the kingdom of Satan. But the right way, the way of God, is a kingdom of life and liberty, which is founded on true and scarce value. Now, I want to drive home the point that the sacrifice in the Bible, animal sacrifices, as an act of worship to God, were more than just worship. They were an acknowledgement of his kingdom and a participation in it. A recognition of the fact that debt has a cost. Redemption from debt has a cost. And I want to make that exceptionally clear by showing you how David responded to the idea of a free bailout. Now, this is kind of a long story, and I don't know that I want to read all of it. But essentially, David had sinned by taking a census of the people of Israel. And as a punishment, the Lord sent an angel to slay the people. But when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, this is 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 16. The Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, it is enough, stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Arona the Jebusite. Now, to make the long story short, David needed to offer a sacrifice because of his sin in order to stop, in order to put an end to this tragedy. And he went to Arona to make this sacrifice, because that's where the angel had stopped. And verse 22, Arana said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did Arana, as a king, give unto the king David. And Arona said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. Now here's the point in verse 24. And the king, that's David, said unto Arona, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. The point here is that David understood the difference between the fiat financial system, which is based on bailouts that have no cost, and God's financial system, the system of sacrifice, every one of which has a cost. David knew that cheap grace wouldn't do. He knew that a price had to be paid for his sin and that a sacrifice that did not cost him anything, was not a sacrifice and would not be accepted by the Lord. Do you understand? The problem with bailing out the banks was not bailing out the banks. The problem was that it was done at no cost. And yet, think about it. If David had made this sacrifice at no cost, was it really at no cost? Or was it just no cost to himself, to Arona? who gave the gift, it would have cost something. And that's the point, is that any monetary system that is tied to physical value, in this case, tied to the value of the burnt offerings, to the value of the oxen and the wood and the threshing floor, that physical value is what made the sacrifice worth something. But when money can be accounted for, can be fabricated on a bank ledger at no cost, truly at no cost. Nobody paid for that. That's something new that the world has never known before. That's as new as Bitcoin. That's as new as money with absolute scarcity. You can multiply cattle. You can mine more silver and more gold. But Bitcoin has a fixed cap, like a person's unique life itself, which has a fixed cap and which can never be replaced because of its uniqueness. It's that absolute scarcity that makes the thing valuable. If Adam and Eve were replaceable, if they were not unique, then it wouldn't have been important for God to pay for their sin. If your life were not unique, it would not have value. But because you are an individual, and because you possess the life that god has given you and that life is yours to do with as you please you are in control of it and it is valuable to you it is irreplaceable that's why you should take care of yourself but that's also why christ died for you if you were like the animals that you can simply multiply through reproduction and one is as good as another it would not have been necessary for christ to die for your sins to pay the cost for you to live and ultimately to live forever. It is your rarity, your uniqueness as a human being. That's what makes you valuable in God's sight. And just like the 50 shekels of silver that David paid for the sacrifice, Bitcoin is a scarce money that you can use as a worthy exchange for the sacrifices you make all through your life. The choices of what you spend your life doing. In other words, the work that you do can be rewarded in Bitcoin as a fair value. Because it is scarce. Just like your life is unique and scarce and rare. Furthermore, just as your life is under your command, you are ultimately in control of of what you do, of every action that you take. In a similar way, when your actions, your work, is rewarded in terms of Bitcoin, you can hold that value, the value of your own work, your own life, you can hold that value under your own private keys, giving you the sole control over your life, over your resources, just as you have control over your own actions, That is true freedom, the freedom to dispose of your life as you see fit, the freedom to use your life and the wealth that is earned by it in the way of your choosing. That is to be sovereign over your own being. Any other reward for your efforts is inferior. You might be paid in fiat currency. That's a currency that you don't fully control. Perhaps it's deposited to your bank account, and you want to spend that, and your transaction is declined. Or you want to go to the bank and request cash, and the teller asks you what that cash is for. Is it any of their business? Isn't that your life? Your choices? Why do you have to justify it to them? Or maybe you're paid not in the form of money. Maybe you work for something practical, like room and board, or physical goods, Should you then not be in control of those physical goods? That is the principle of ownership and of private property. The things that you own that were purchased by your money, by your efforts, by your labors, belongs to you. And it's yours to dispose of as you choose. That is sovereignty. And the government should uphold and defend that. That's what private property is and private property rights are all about. But when the government becomes corrupt and no longer defends private property, but instead seeks to take away private property and impoverish its citizens and ultimately bring them into debt and secure them in the bondage of debt, that's no longer a government that's in harmony with the principles of God. That's a government based on debt that is singing the music of satan and so we find ourselves at the point where we can recognize based on biblical principles based ultimately on the sacrifice of jesus christ that a good form of government is one that respects personal property rights that respects the sovereignty of the individual that is a christian principle by contrast communism or socialism in any of its varieties or flavors is contrary to the principles of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it steals, it takes from the lives of people, of the common people, of everybody against their will. It steals money, wealth from the individual, from the masses, from everyone, through taxation, through inflation, in order to enforce this balance of like a universal income or this, this idea that everyone's needs should be met equally regardless of their abilities. That concept, however noble it may seem, is approached in the wrong way. And when that is combined with a debt-based financial system, then that is A satanic government. Wow, I didn't even realize that was so clear cut. Now, it's important to note, however, and I think this is what leads some Christians astray, that in the early church, it says in the Bible that they shared all things in common. And that sounds like socialism in some form. The one who had extra gave to the one who didn't have enough, and in the end, everyone was satisfied. Well, that is a beautiful thing. But the difference, and why that will never work in a socialistic government, the difference is that in the early Christian church, it was entirely voluntary. Individuals gave of their own free will to help meet the needs of the poor among them. And in that way, the Christian church supported itself. The rich in the church helped those who were poor, and altogether, the church came through. And this is also emphasized not only in the accounts of the early church, but also in the letters of Paul when he's talking to the churches about preparing a gift, an offering to give to those who are poor, to give to those in other locations, whether it be in Jerusalem or other locations where the Christians were in need. And he speaks very clearly about the necessity of giving willingly, not of a grudging heart. God loves a cheerful giver. And again, that is a common thread all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament, in the way that the sacrificial system was intended to be a system of giving gifts, giving animals willingly as an offering and not grudgingly and not by a compulsion And that is the difference as to why a socialistic government will never be in harmony with the principles of Jesus Christ, because it's against free will. Whenever the government mandates taking money from the citizens and giving it to other citizens in any form, that is against the principles of the kingdom of God. Or maybe we could revise that slightly. It's not the mandate even that is the problem. It's the enforcement. The government can set any rules that it wants, but when it enforces, when it takes money by force from its citizens and redistributes that to others, that is the problem. The Old Testament system of sacrifices, the sacrificial system, has a lot to teach us. And It's sad that many people are put off by the idea of animal sacrifices, because in today's modern way of thinking, it seems so barbaric, so primitive, so distasteful. But if you just understand that it's the same thing we do today when we eat meat, that animal had to be sacrificed. It had to be killed. And Essentially, that's what they were doing in the Old Testament times. When they sacrificed animals, they didn't sacrifice them for no reason. They didn't sacrifice them just to kill them and bury them. No, they sacrificed them in order to produce food. That's why sacrifices were offered to idols and then eaten afterwards. Well, the same was in the kingdom of God. The sacrifices were offered to God. Part of it was given to the priests of the temple or the tabernacle, And then the animal was eaten. Not only was it eaten, but the skin was used for leather. And basically all parts of the animal had their use and were of value to the one who received the sacrifice, to the priest, as well as providing food for the one who offered the sacrifice. People didn't go to the temple just to offer their sacrifice and then leave empty-handed. No, they gave the animal to be sacrificed to be prepared in the temple to be cooked so that they could then eat that meat as an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. Oh yes, the people ate the sacrifices. And so it was not so different than the way the world works today. We still kill animals and we still eat their flesh. We still make leather from their skins. The only difference is we sacrifice to idols now. We sacrifice to the food industrial complex, by and large. So I I say all that, I explain all that, so that you understand that the idea of offering animal sacrifices is not so strange. It's not so different than what we do today. And there's a lot of lessons we can draw from that. By going and offering the sacrifices at the temple, as the children of Israel were instructed to do, at least three times a year, that was essentially the way that the nation of Israel taxed its citizens. They didn't have an ordinary tax. What they had was this requirement to go and offer your sacrifices three times a year. And so the people would go and bring their sacrifices to Jerusalem, offer them there, and the priests would benefit from part of the sacrifice, part of the meat, and and the leather, and other parts of the animal. And then part of the meat would go to the one who was offering the sacrifice. That's how they ate while they were on their pilgrimage. And in that way, it benefited both the giver of the gift and the priest who received the gift the ministers of the government of God here on earth. And at the other times of the year, the people also gave sacrifices in their own locations. They laid up food for the Levites who were in their area, the teachers of the law. And so in that way, the ministers of the kingdom, the priests and Levites, were always provided for through this sort of voluntary system of taxation which was the sacrificial system. That is how the government of God was intended to work. Not through forced taxation, but through grace, through the giving of gifts, through the giving of sacrifices, things that had a cost to the giver, that were the fruit of his labors. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that fascinating how much we can gain when we study the economy of of ancient Israel, the economy of the temple system, of the sacrificial system. There's a lot there and a lot that we can learn and apply to our life today. And when you think about this, in the context of Bitcoin, in the context of a system that grants perfect ownership rights, perfect property rights, personal property rights to the holders to the individual, then some things become very interesting. First of all, this idea of voluntary offerings makes a lot more sense because everything in Bitcoin is voluntary. If you hold Bitcoin under your own private keys, spending that Bitcoin is voluntary. You must willingly use your private key to sign the transaction to make any payment. It's always voluntary, but you have to pay a transaction fee if you're going to make a transaction. And that's similar to like when you offer your sacrifice at the temple, the priest is going to take part of it. That's his payment, his wages. That's what sustains the government, so to speak. In Bitcoin, that's your transaction fee. That's the wages of the miners. That's what sustains the system. That's what sustains the government, so to speak, of Bitcoin. Now, that's not the only part of the government. The priests were one part, but then there were the Levites. The priests were the ones who took care of the sacrifices. They worked at the temple. The Levites also worked at the temple, but their role was different. They were handling the labor, so to speak, rather than dealing with the holy things, the vessels, the containers, the furniture, the operations of the temple itself. And if we were to make this comparison with the government of Bitcoin, we could easily recognize that the priests who were the ones who received of the sacrifice directly, the ones who officiated the ones who actually performed the sacrifices, who actually cut the animal, poured out its blood, put it on the altar, you know, the ones who actually did the ceremonial services. You could say those priests correspond to the Bitcoin miners. They are the ones who actually take the sacrifices, the offerings, the transactions, and they slice them up. They put them in the fire melt down the Bitcoins, so to speak, that are involved in each transaction and produce the new coins from that, who produce the food, the sustenance, part of which goes to the one making the sacrifice and part of which goes to the the priests. That's the fee, the transaction fee. It's easy to see how that correlates. But within the system of Bitcoin, there's another aspect, which is the running of the nodes. Now... Running a node in the Bitcoin world is understood as that the nodes make the laws. They decide what transactions are valid, what blocks are valid. And this corresponds to the role of the Levites. The Levites were the teachers of the law. They represent the legal aspect. They correspond to the Bitcoin nodes that make the laws, the consensus rules. As to what is valid and what is not. Now, it's also interesting that the nodes don't get paid. It's a volunteer work. And that's kind of like how the work of the Levites was. They didn't get paid like the priests at the temple who received directly from the sacrifices. By contrast, the Levites depended on free will offerings that were laid up in the country, in the cities, in the places where they were scattered throughout Israel. Again, that's like the Bitcoin nodes that are scattered all over the world, in contrast to the miners which are congregated in mines in a few geographical locations, like temples, so to speak. Temples that you cannot enter into because it's so noisy. And I talked about that in another episode where I talked about the voice of God. Highly fascinating topic. Check that out. It's very interesting. But I would like to suggest to you that maybe our concept of Bitcoin nodes needs to be expanded because in the biblical example, we see that the Levites also receive food, sustenance, wages from the people in a distributed sort of fashion, according to wherever they were located, in whatever cities they dwelt in throughout the land of Israel. Remember, the Levites were the tribe that was scattered. They didn't have a land of their own. Instead, they were scattered throughout all of the other tribes of Israel. That distribution across the land of Israel represents how Bitcoin nodes form a distributed network all throughout the world. This is really fascinating. I have to just tell you, I love doing these podcasts because I'm learning right along with you as I explore these things. And it brings me a lot of joy to talk about these things with you. And I hope that it really inspires you and brings you that same kind of joy to understand how God is working today, how he's giving us a practical system for living out the principles of his kingdom here on earth today. Now, not everybody runs a Bitcoin node, but the ones who do are like the Levites in the land. And the Levites also received from the offerings of the people, not at the temple, but in their various locations. The people were instructed to lay up a tithe that was partly for the Levites. Now, if the Levites received a tithe, and we haven't talked much about tithe yet, but it's essentially just a tenth part of the increase, and that's the amount that was to be given as an offering. It was not taken by force, but it was Prescribed that everyone should give that much as an offering to God. And the way it was put in practice was that it was given to the Levites. And the Levites, in turn, gave a 10% to the priests. That's apart from the sacrifices that were made three times a year when the people took their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Okay, so there are many levels to the story here. But focusing on what applied to the Levites, I want to emphasize that they also received wages for their work of teaching the law of God among the people. That's why they were scattered among the people. And how is it, this is the question now, how is it that Bitcoin nodes do not earn any revenue of any kind? It's a completely voluntary work. And those who run them, those who educate the people who teach about Bitcoin, generally are ones who run nodes, How is it that they do that work for free? Well, according to the Bible example, they are worthy also of the tithes of the people. And I would submit to you that this is evidence, this is biblical evidence, that Bitcoin, and particularly Bitcoin nodes, should not be understood exclusive of the Lightning Network. Now, I run a Bitcoin node, but I also run a Lightning node. Because for day-to-day transactions, you have to use the Lightning network. You're not going to buy your daily bread with Bitcoin on-chain. You use the Lightning network for that type of stuff. And to do your accounting in a way that you hold the keys to your own funds, you naturally have to run your own Lightning node. Of course, you could just use custodial wallets and do all your accounting on custodial systems. That's also an option. But if you're really going to teach... If you're going to be a Levite, and you're going to teach people and onboard them, then you have to be running your own lightning node so that you can provide lightning services to others, so that you can be the Uncle Jim, so to speak, the Levite among the children of Israel. And when you run a lightning node, you actually earn fees, You earn an income in proportion to how much financial traffic your node is facilitating. And I would submit to you that the idea of running a Bitcoin node should be maybe broadened a little bit to this idea of running a Bitcoin and Lightning node, perhaps together or perhaps separately on two different machines or whatever. That is beside the point. But Bitcoin and Lightning belong together. And until that is accepted, you'll always have this scaling problem. The so-called scaling problem, which, as I've said in previous episodes, I don't like to call it a problem because it's not a problem. It's a design choice. The limitation of the number of blocks per unit time and the size of blocks together limits the size of the pipe through which Bitcoin transactions can flow. It doesn't limit the amount of money that can flow, but it limits the amount of transactions that can flow. And that is by design because that provides the hard cap, not only in terms of the total amount of currency in circulation, but also in the total amount of the number of transactions per unit time. And that cap on transaction rate is also part of the value of Bitcoin. In particular, that manifests in the transaction fees. We have higher fees when that block space is in higher demand, and that only works because of the fixed block size and the fixed block rate. Key points in the design of Bitcoin that should never be changed. That's part of the design, but it's also predicated on Layer 2 solutions that will allow for more transactions at lower cost. And that's what Lightning provides in a semi-trustless way. So I believe that Bitcoin and Lightning belong together. Now that doesn't mean merging the code bases. I'm not in favor of that. Modularity in software is a good thing. But in concept, we need to understand that Lightning is part of the Bitcoin ecosystem. It's part of the Bitcoin economy. It all belongs together. Just as there were Levites, And I would suggest to you that running lightning and Bitcoin nodes together is what we could compare to the work of the Levites in ancient Israel. In fact, some Levites had property in the country that they lived from. Not all of them relied on tithes to sustain them. And so we could even say that the biblical illustration shows those who only run Bitcoin nodes, those who are self-sufficient, live on the produce of their own land from their own efforts, as well as those who run Bitcoin and Lightning nodes being like the Levites who benefit from the tithes of the people they serve around them, just as the Lightning node operators earn transaction fees for supporting the network and also for supporting those who utilize their node for custody services. The family of Uncle Jim, in other words. Now, normally in a family situation, you might not charge fees. But in a general sense, when you run a custodial lightning service, you're going to charge fees to those who choose to host their wallet with you. A small fee for use of that service. And that's only fair. And then there are the common Israelites that are neither priests nor Levites. And they, of course, represent the common bitcoiner who uses Bitcoin but doesn't run his own node and doesn't do any mining. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it fascinating how the Jewish economy in the sacrificial system has so much to say, has so much of a parallel to Bitcoin? I think that's just amazing. This has been a great study today. I really appreciate you listening and It was a joy to delve into this subject uh, with you today. We started with the Genesis block and understanding how bailouts are a form of grace that is only worth something if it comes at a cost. And I want to really remind you of that right now as we're getting ready to close, that Bitcoin is a system of justice, absolute justice. But yet it devolves upon each one of us as individuals, to use this system of justice in a gracious way. And that is to say, that is to reiterate the point that bailouts are not bad in and of themselves. The problem with the bailout that Satoshi Nakamoto cited in the Genesis block, the problem with the bailouts of the big banks, And the bailout of the COVID-19 era is the fabrication of money that has no value. That's cheap grace. And cheap grace has no redeeming qualities. Yeah, it, it prevents the failure of the bank, but it perpetuates a system like the kingdom of Satan, a system of death that cannot sustain itself. At one time, after all is said and done, everyone who has followed Satan will ultimately perish along with him unless they are redeemed, unless they are bailed out with something of true substance, of true value, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. In the same way, the entire fiat world, the entire banking system will collapse someday. Because it's based on debt. It's based on something that cannot be counted. It's based on something that doesn't actually exist, something that can be created out of nothing. That's an interesting expression because we often say that God created the world out of nothing, but I think that's perhaps a misunderstanding. God created this world out of something, it cost Him something to create this world. Because as a responsible God, he created this world knowing that he would have to pay the cost of its transgression. Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He is what the sacrifice that clothed Adam and Eve was always pointing to. And God created this world, giving Satan access to it through the tree of knowledge of good and evil, knowing that he would have to redeem mankind, knowing that it would cost his own life, the life of his son, which in human terms we understand is one's own life. A man who has only one begotten son has his whole life, his genetic line, wrapped up in that one son. That is his life. And it was at the cost of his life the life of Jesus Christ, that God created this world, knowing that he would have to pay the price for man's sin. That was all done in foreknowledge. Christ wasn't sacrificed as an afterthought. No, it was done by the will, by the plan of God, because of the greater crisis that existed in heaven as a result of Satan's insinuation that the government of God could be improved if the citizens were not required to obey God, but were free to do anything they choose. That concept is what Satan set in motion in the Garden of Eden. He taught Eve that she could do whatever she wanted, even if it didn't match what God said. And the result ushered in his kingdom of death here in this world. So God created this world knowing what the cost would be. He didn't create it out of nothing. He invested his very life in creating this world. Do you understand now why the money of God is so valuable? Do you understand now why there's a hard cap? Do you understand now why Bitcoin is based or is comparable to the money Of the sacrificial system to the currency of animals whose life had to be sacrificed in order for them to feed the people do you understand whose life it is that provides bitcoin with its value in the episode bitcoins 21 million on judgment day i talk about the number of the hard cap of 21 million bitcoins and what that number signifies according to the bible And now you can see from another angle that that hard cap is the hard cap on the life of God himself. You will say to me, but oh, but God is infinite. And I will say, the value of Bitcoin is also infinite. But it is only infinite because it has a hard cap. Just as the kingdom of God, the life of God, the value of God is only infinite because... He sacrificed his son to redeem you and me, to redeem humanity. This is deep. This is deep. How much are you worth? How much would God pay for your unique life? He demonstrated it on the cross. He showed on the cross what you are worth. Now, if you understand that, if you understand what you are worth in the sight of God, and you understand the cap that was placed on God's own life through the death of his son, then I submit to you, Bitcoin is the only financial system worthy of your attention. Why? Because it has a hard cap. Bailouts don't come for nothing, at no cost. And that's a system that will lead to infinite value, just as God is infinite. By contrast, the world's financial system has money that can be printed to infinity, With no hard cap, but its value is worthless. Take your stand today for the kingdom of God. Make Bitcoin your currency and dedicate your life to his kingdom. Be gracious like he has been gracious to you. And be just as he is just. I want to close with a verse from Proverbs. Proverbs 22, verse 16. He that oppresseth the poor to increase his riches... That describes the fiat financial system. They oppress the poor through inflation, through taxation. They take from the poor in order to enrich the wealthy, in order to have more money that flows through the hands of those at the top of the financial system. He that oppresses the poor to increase his riches, and he that giveth to the rich shall surely come to want, come to poverty. The fiat financial system will come to poverty. Contrast that with Proverbs 13, verse 8. The ransom of a man's life, that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The ransom of a man's life are his riches, but the poor heareth not rebuke. That is to say, if Jesus Christ changes your life, it will make you rich. May not be in this life, may not be in this generation, but Bitcoin's value in principle is infinite. The ransom of a man's life are his riches, but the poor heareth not rebuke. In other words, if you don't listen to counsel, if you don't obey the words of wisdom, if you don't mm. obey Jesus Christ, you're going to be poor. And again, it may not be in your lifetime, but in the final reckoning, the Bible is clear that the government of God, which is predicated, which is founded on the hard cap that was placed on Jesus' life, ultimately leads to untold riches. But the government of Satan, that is based on the idea of do whatever you want, do as thou wilt, will lead to absolute poverty, ultimately death. Build your future on the Genesis block. Build your future on the principle that a sacrifice must cost something to have value. Build your life not on free bailouts, but on mercy that has merit. That is the message for today. May God bless you. Have a great week. And please share these episodes with those you love. And let us work together to share the knowledge of the kingdom of God.